So Order of the Bookish definitely grew much faster than I had planned. Now I have a background in business and I've helped grow businesses before. I've worked with small businesses. I've had a couple of my own other ones with my mom. So I've done something like this before, but never quite at this scale and never, yeah, it's, it's the scale that I've never done before. So all the other businesses were very small. And I by small, I mean like a one woman show. This needs many people. There's a lot of moving parts. And that's not what I had in mind when I first started it. All branding is personal. And it's not about who you say you are. It's about who you are and how you say it. I'm Hirsch Repu, copywriter, comedian, and brand voice expert. I've helped hundreds of companies fine tune their messaging. And now I'm sitting down with some of the most ambitious and imaginative founders around who share their seven figure stories and their next figure goals. Let's hit the brand voice runway. All right, we're going to have fun today on the Brand Voice Runway because we're covering a lot of topics that are near and dear to my heart. My guest today is Tia Lumark. Tia has created, she is a book publisher and author consultant, and she's created Order of the Bookish, and it serves new authors, it serves readers, and we're going to dig into all aspects of this, which range from why she created this brand to begin with, and then also how to market a new brand itself when you're marketing new content to new people. Welcome, Tia, to Brand Voice Runway. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. It is fantastic to have you. I love the name order of the bookish. There's something really evocative about it, but why don't you explain what it is and how it came to you? Thank you. Yeah. So Order of the Bookish, the title, the name in and of itself is probably one of my favorite parts about the whole company. It sort of came to me because, well, first of all, I'm a huge Harry Potter nerd. And if you know Harry Potter, you know Order of the Phoenix. So that's sort of where my inspiration came from. I really wanted this company to feel very close knit, sort of how the group in Harry Potter was. You know, they're a very tight knit, close group willing to take on the world together. And I wanted to provoke that feeling amongst not just the readers in our group, um, but also the authors and the employees that we have. I wanted us to feel tight and I wanted to feel exclusive without being exclusive. So I wanted us to have that sort of mystery and just togetherness. So it was a little bit of a, almost a tongue in cheek way of creating a club for yourself mm -hmm. that yes. other people can join. And then, you know, be like-minded, creative individuals, people that might feel a little bit outsider in some ways, you know, and then ultimately what's interesting about it is that it obviously has a very literary implication. And at the same time, it also has the implication that there's a structure to it and, but it's not too tight. It's not too rigid. It's not afraid to try new things. But what happened in your case is you scaled a little bit too quickly it, yeah. or faster than you expected. Why don't you tell us about the, you know, how that evolved. Yeah. So originally I started with a small blog. So it was meant to just be passive income, affiliate ad marketing. Cause I, I had done it with a few other people when I was marketing before in my previous job. And I was like, Hey, I love books. I know it's a, a small niche. I know I can turn it into a little something. So my original sort of business was booksformovies.com and it was just going to be a blog. That within two months be became me sort of uploading articles by authors and that turned into managing ARC reader teams for authors. And that turned into more and more services because they had started finding out 
they had found out that I had done marketing and I know like creative design, graphic design, videography. So more and more services started adding up. And that's how Order of the Bookish grew out of books for movies within about two months. And then once Order of the Bookish existed, that scaled to being almost full-time income within the first four months, which is absolutely insane. Normally it takes businesses years to be able to make full-time income. So the fact that I was doing it accidentally within a few months was mind-blowing and overwhelming and anxiety yeah. and more more than a little harry potterish it's there was some magic involved yeah. there there were probably some mm -hmm. spells and potions that just kind of came together by accident speaking yeah, right, yeah. of some of those services we talked a little bit about this because you are multifaceted and multi-skilled order of the bookish can provide more than just publishing and even more than just consulting. So what are some of the other things that you have incorporated into this? So for the author side, because we have an author side and a reader side. So for the author side, it's the, our most popular services tend to be review team managements, graphic design things. So that's creating Instagram posts that are really eye-catching, creating book covers, creating internal images, creating character art. So anything design oriented is some of our most popular stuff. And then as far, and then we also do marketing. So we'll manage your social media pages. We'll get you interviews set up, stuff like that. And for the reader side, this is something that we've started growing more and more. We've kind of kept it on the down low just because I can't manage it all by myself, but now I have a little bit more help so I can grow it more. But for readers, we give a lot of readers opportunities in the publishing industry. So we do a lot of internships. I've had a lot of assistantships. So any reader who doesn't have the skills or the opportunities or an internship themselves, if they want to join the publishing industry, they can do it sort of a stepping stone and use me as a recommendation, as just a, a way to gain some skills so they can start applying to those higher level jobs. So we have the author side and then we also have the reader side. So essentially you're creating an entire ecosystem. And now tell me a little bit, I think you've published 10 books at this. So I have one published now, 10 planned for that series. But oh, more okay. planned beyond that. So I also have some low content books planned. So crossword puzzles, coloring books that are book oriented, and then also marketing books for authors are planned to come out. So probably 20 in general in the next 20, five years. 20 in out. the pipeline. 20, yeah. 20 in but the pipeline. But one currently published. Yeah. Right, right. And what's the one that's out? So the book is called Realm of Chaos, and it's under my author name, Tia Christine. It's fey fantasy, enemies to lovers, uh, very popular genre and tropes, and my personal favorite. So I do want to now work on getting my own books out, books out as I'm helping other authors with their books. Which makes perfect sense. I mean, I was just talking to someone today. They were telling me about, you know, I'm trying to help them encapsulate all the different things that they do into a persona that is complementary and synergistic. It's hard sometimes for people. It's a, a byproduct of, I think, a time that we're living in where people are doing what their heart tells them to do in a lot of cases. And that may be fly fishing, you know, professionally, and then also work in a chemistry lab. And it could be anything and they could be a writer. And a lot of us are writing. A lot of people are writing and expressing themselves. So the subject matter that you love, but also the order of the bookish doesn't have a genre or uh, like a limit or a limitation. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. So we, so up until about, I'd say half a year ago, 
We were mainly doing fiction and then we opened up nonfiction as well because I had a couple of nonfiction authors or nonfiction writers who wanted to produce their own books. So I thought, you know, why, why am I just sticking with fiction? Why can't I do all books? So I'm also doing low content books as well for other people. So yeah, any type of book-ish thing that you need to do, <laughs> we're able to produce it. But speaking of book-ish, sometimes, I guess is what you're referring to when you say low content books, sometimes there are short books. There are books that fit, there could be a novella or there could be, you know, like I had mentioned to you, my son had done a, a book, a volume of poetry okay. mm -hmm. in addition to, you know, writing a non, writing a fiction novel. Do you have a certain type of writer or a certain stage of their career? Is there a certain avatar that you're looking for in terms of the writers you want to bring in? So I think now that's kind of hard to answer because we've worked with so many authors at so many different stages. I've had authors that have produced multiple books and then I've had writers who are just learning how to write a book and also starting to get into the phases of how do I upload it to Amazon? So we've helped authors at every stage. I think the one we have the most often is authors who need to revamp old books. So if you're, if you uploaded your book five years ago, you were young, it was your first time, you know, you did it wrong, but you want to try again and get it back out there. That seems to be the most popular thing that we do is that we go through and we'll say, hey, you need to edit this a little bit better. You need to change your cover. You need a review team. And we kind of just give you a, a report of what you should fix, as well as helping them actually fix it. So revamping already published books, I would say is our most popular, but we'll help an author at any stage. Yeah, but it's great that you do that because I think there is no reason why someone whose book didn't get out there the first time, you know, it's not about the book. It was about the marketing. It was about the packaging, the construct, the, you know, the presentation. And that's yeah, something really. that's hard to get right. You know, you mentioned your unexpected kind of early success with the order of the bookish. And also there sometimes comes with that a uh, little imposter syndrome that you could maybe share a little bit about your take yeah, on that. So Order of the Bookish definitely grew much faster than I had planned. Now I have a background in business and I've helped grow businesses before. I've worked with small businesses. I've had a couple of my own other ones with my mom. So I've done something like this before, but never quite at this scale and never. Yeah, it's, it's the scale that I've never done before. So all the other businesses were very small. And I by small, I mean like a one woman show. This needs many people. There's a lot of moving parts. And that's not what I had in mind when I first started it. I thought it was going to be me making book covers, editing books sometimes, and that's about it. Um, and I think I had accidentally fell into a niche and into a market that I didn't realize so many people needed. So I think I did get lucky. I think a little bit of my business background helps in knowing which steps to take next. So I knew how to make a website and I knew how to do the marketing. And I knew a lot of those things already and I was doing them and I was doing them correctly. And that was one of the problems, ironically enough, is that it ended up growing to a point where I can no longer handle all that success on my own. So there have been a few times, actually, currently, I'm in a scale back period. So there have been a few times when I pushed hard, did it right, didn't know that I was going to do it right. You know, I keep expecting this failure to happen. Again, that's the imposter syndrome is that I, I'm new at this. It's still fresh. I'm still kind of learning as I go. So when something happens and it's right, I'm like, oh my God, what happened? It's a fluke. Let me scale back because <laughs> I can't handle it. Yeah. So I'm currently in a scale back period where I'm working on my own books. I'm still helping authors. It's just not as often. I'm not pushing my own marketing as much, 
So yeah, this is a scale back period right now. And that's probably going to happen for a while until I can get significant hands on deck to be able to help with the day-to-day stuff as I manage the whole company as a big picture. Well, this leads us to something that comes up on this show a lot. You know, entrepreneurs and founders at various stages of the process. I recently interviewed someone whose expertise is exit strategies, but not just when it's time to exit. It's something Mm -hmm. that's a natural progression that you have to almost start planning from the beginning what would happen in however many years. What are the contingencies? So one of the problems is finding people who you can trust to do the work that you may even love doing or like doing or be willing to do, but you just can't, there's only so much of you. So how have you addressed that in terms of growth with having to bring people in? Absolutely. Yeah. So this is, you mentioned, you said the word ecosystem earlier, and that's the perfect word for what this company is, is that it's a whole ecosystem and a lot of it happened very accidentally. So the readers that I was talking about, giving them internships and opportunities, my goal was not to give them work that I couldn't handle. My goal was to give them opportunities because I didn't have it when I got out of college. I wanted to be in publishing. I wanted to be a literary agent. This was a time when Kindle was taking over the world. So publishers were backtracking. They were doing layoffs. They were not hiring people. So I had such a struggle and I never got that opportunity. So when I started these reader teams, I wanted to make sure the readers that were passionate, that wanted to do this, were actually getting those opportunities. So it turned into actually being able to give those readers the work that I'm not able to do myself. So some of the most common things that we give to freelancers, the readers is, you know, marketing. I have a marketing team and they will reach out to authors. They'll DM authors. They'll like answer questions here and there. And they are a huge help. I love them so much. And then I also have sort of freelancers that will do character art, cover design. I have a couple of formatters on the team. And these are all people that sort of come in and out. You know, it's when work comes in, if I know the main people in the team can't handle it, then I'll pass it on to a reader and I'll say, hey, can you do this? Whatever work they're given, they do get paid for it. Unless it's an internship that's like a marketing internship. But I make sure that the readers get paid, even though they're unskilled. I walk them through it. I help them with it as much as I can. And then I'll double check their work before sending it to the author. So like you said, it's a whole ecosystem of, you know, there's me, there's the company, there's the authors, there's the readers, and then there's like all of our helpers. And it's all very integrated together. Yeah. Listening to you speak, it's hard to imagine you being overwhelmed and not, and having like, those things are hard to picture, Mm -hmm. but I'll take your word for it that they happen because I know they happen. But it does sound like you have a pretty good organizational sense. I mean, where does that come from? So I think it sounds more organized than it is in reality. So one of the issues is that we, I do have, you know, multiple emails. I have multiple social medias and I'm talking to authors on all those platforms. And then I have the marketers and the freelancers that I'm communicating with. So it's just a ton of like an onslaught of communication on a daily basis. I am getting better at organizing all of it. It's getting a lot easier, especially now that we have the new Order of the Bookish website. Before it was integrated with the Books for Movies website, and that was just a chaotic mess. So I've separated the two. That's helped a little bit. And, you know, I'm still in my learning phase. I'm still learning every day on how to make things better and make improvements. And one of the ways that I'm able to stay on top of this is because I very much rely on the reader team. There's currently about 250 readers in my group. So... At any time, I always tell them, hey, if you have an idea on how to improve, let me know. I'm a small business. We're helping small independent authors. 
the way this is going to work is if we all work together. So anytime someone has an idea and they shoot it at me, I say, okay, let me implement this, see how it works. If it works, I stick with it. If it doesn't, then we try again. So I think one of the ways that I'm able to stay so organized and on top of everything is because I heavily rely on other people's opinions because they're seeing things that I'm not. And that helps a lot. Yeah. And that's always the case. There's always going to be perspective that differs from yours and you have to you know, seize it, not reject it. I am curious a little bit about your take on the publishing industry and where things are at. You know, I'm kind of new to it. I'm just getting my first, my first, I don't even have, you know, until my book's ready to actually hit the stands, I'm not really exposed to the industry, but I'm working mm -hmm. with publishers. I'm working with editors. I'm, you know, I, I'm learning, I'm learning about the, the, the inner workings of, of how a book gets published, but what's your take on the industry? You mentioned not being able to get a lot of opportunities when you came out of college. So I'm, I'm curious. That's a lot, a lot to unpack, Hirsch. There's entire podcasts <laughs> and YouTube channels and books dedicated to that exact topic. So short answer, the publishing industry is complicated and it's always changing. So sort of think of it like SEO. You know, it's really hard to be an SEO expert when the SEO changes every single day. The algorithms change every single day. That's how it is with publishing. We have currently a phase we're going through as, you know, the industry is hybrid publishers. So that's one of the trends. We have the big traditional publishers, and we're starting to see that a lot of them are failing their authors. So we have a lot of A-list, best-selling authors, but it's the same names over and over again. You know, we've seen the same 10 best-selling authors a thousand times over. And at this point now, they all hire ghostwriters. It's not even them writing their own books anymore. And the ghostwriters... Some of them come out and say, oh, hey, I'm the ghostwriter for this book. A lot of them don't. So they're not even getting the credit for it. So then we have hybrid publishers, which essentially you can pay a publisher a certain amount of money, let's say $3,000. And then once the royalties start coming in, you split it 50-50 with the hybrid publisher. So it's sort of independent publishing, sort of traditional combination of it. So hybrid publishing. And then we have independent publishing which is becoming more and more popular because we're seeing more and more hybrid and traditional publishers failing authors in general. So unless you're a bestseller, you know, you kind of have to take your book into your own hands and do your own marketing, do your own work, essentially. And as an independent author, you are given so much more creative freedom. You can handle your own marketing. It's a lot of work, but you have full control. And that's something a lot of authors right now in the industry want. They want control of their books. So traditional publishers really need to step up their game because they're losing authors. And yeah. that's sort of the way publishing, the publishing industry is going. It's more and more indie authors, less and less traditional. Well, speaking of indie authors, so, but the services that you provide are giving them the best of both worlds, it would seem. Like they're independent to a certain extent. They have freedom, their creative freedom, but they also have this support system where, you know, you can take on the marketing for them. And that, because I think one thing that I didn't want as an author was to be a first time author and then be on my own, like completely and yeah. self-publish or just, I didn't want to get the short end of the stick. A traditional publisher would probably not really work with me because I'm not previously published as an author, but, you know, I wanted a, a publishing company that could provide marketing and do so is that considered like the independent world where a company does you know they offer marketing they have their publishing deal you know they bring in the editor and all of these things is it done like an a la carte thing 
where somebody says, okay, I need this, but I don't need that? Or is it a package? What? How does it work? So both. And that both is what I realize authors need is having either option. So I like the way you said a la carte. That is exactly what it is. <laughs> so we have a list of services. You can pick one, mix and match, do as many as you want. You can do one now, one later. It's totally up to, do, to you. You have full control over your book. You have full control over the services that you need. And then we also have a full scale package. And we just did six this summer, which was incredibly intense, time consuming. I think I worked for like 18 hour days all summer. So producing a full book, and that's the editing, the formatting, the cover design and full scale marketing, and then uploading it to Amazon or Ingram or wherever you want, doing the market research, watching the analytics, getting your SEO long and short tail key phrases, everything. So we handle all of that. And that would be a full package. So you can choose either or whatever's whatever fits your lifestyle. Whatever suits you. you Okay. And then when it comes to working with, there's two people, two players that I want to cover here. One is working with authors because I worked with artists. uh, Much of my career has been spent representing artists in one form or another filmmakers mostly, but still I know what it's like to manage the artistic sensibility. Mm -hmm. You know it because you're an author yourself, so you can relate, but Is that a handful, like managing the personalities of authors or the emotional stuff that they go through? What's it like? So not even a little bit. I absolutely love working with indie authors. You know, indie authors are such a great, incredible group of people. I I come across in a couple hundred I've worked with in the past year, maybe a couple, like maybe like two or three that I just, you know, didn't get along with. The vibe wasn't there. I tried to help them, but our personalities weren't matching. But, you know, those were like easy situations to handle. It was just, hey, I think this other person, this colleague of mine would be a better fit for you. And we just kind of like pass it on. But overall, everyone has been super incredible and amazing. If anything, I don't like working with publishers. And I have had to work with (laughs) publishers So like I've had authors that have a hybrid publisher or a publisher and the author just wants to, you know, do a little extra marketing that the publisher is not offering. So in those situations, I have to directly talk to the publisher or the assistant with the publisher. And I don't like those situations because first of all, all publishing companies work differently. And then there's so many emails that are just completely useless. You don't need to be tagging me in this email. And it's just like going in circles half the time and Sometimes I'll get an email like five in a day and sometimes I'll go like five weeks without an email from them. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? Where are we in this situation? So yeah, I'd rather work with indie indie authors. They are incredible. And one of the reasons I love doing this, it's such a a great system. And presumably they're extremely motivated to to get their art out. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of things we could talk about in terms of the publishing, the, the industry and the nuts and bolts, but- What I wanted to kind of circle around to here is the reader, not the readers that read the, but, you know, but like the, you know, the audience, (laughs) the readership for books in 2023, you know, at this moment in time with stuff going on in terms of education and schools and curriculum and all of these little things that factor into all the devices and the various media that we have that kind Mm -hmm. of take us away from reading and make, you know, reading like just less, less attractive in many ways. 
Yeah. What are some thoughts you have on that, considering that this is your now your lifeblood, right? Writing books and creating content for people to read in perpetuity, you know? So where do you shake out on that? So again, another great question, lots to unpack here. You hit the long questions that need long answers. So when I started Books for Movies, and even now still, I always say, look, if your child is not into reading, get them a book that's currently a movie. So give them Harry Potter, give them Twilight, give them The Hunger Games, because these are already full-scale movies, and it'll be easier for them to connect with the book once they have the visual format. Especially nowadays, you know, kids and even us and even the older generation, our minds have sort of changed to needing the visualization, needing TV, needing movies, needing TikToks. So to get your kid reading, I say, hey, get them a book that's been made into a movie, a book for movie. And I think that we can actually use our technology and devices in order to get more readers, you know, get more people interested in reading books, whether that's nonfiction or fiction, either one. I think it's a great way to go about creating more readers. But then the current readers now, I don't think having devices and TV has been affecting them in a negative way. I think it's, if anything, it's positive because now we have Kindles, we can have entire books on our cell phone. So I have my phone right here. I have thousands and thousands of books right on this thing. So if I'm standing in a long line, sitting on the bus, it's so easy for me to just read a book. And I think technology is only making things more accessible and not really been a huge hindrance on the readership. Yeah. Have you worked with schools at all on books or, I mean, I know your books are so far, not children's books, right? They're- yes, I've only worked with a couple of authors that have children's books, but as far as I'm aware, only one of them actively gets their books into school. I'm actually personally working on getting my book into libraries. So that's one of the things, one of the big projects I have going right now is that I'm contacting libraries, both in schools and just public libraries to get my book into those. But yeah, that's definitely something that I think more authors should be trying to do that they're not aware of. They don't realize that they can get their book into schools. That's interesting. I'm glad I asked that question because the public library and the school libraries question came up. What is that challenging? You know, what's the hurdle for that? So, yeah. So as far as libraries go, you need to essentially know the right person to contact. If you don't know the right person to contact, your email is going to get hidden. It's going to go in the junk folder. Uh, hopefully, if you send an email to like the front desk librarian, hopefully they'll move it around, uh, move it up to the acquisitions manager, who's a person who you know buys the books in bulk and puts it in their libraries. Hopefully, uh, so it's going to be the big challenge right now is just doing the research, trying to find the right contacts, and I also have a few different drafts created. So I have emails for, hey, my book just got released. You can buy it here. Or, you know, I'm currently creating something for Christmas time. Hey, this book would be great for Christmas for this type of reader. So it's just a lot of research and a lot of just making sure my wording in my emails is perfect and the pitch is perfect so that they're convinced that they should have my book in their library. So as we bring this conversation to a close, I'm going to give you the last word. And if you could just share with the audience a resolution or a a vision you have for the next 12 months. I know it's not the holidays yet, but it's more like, you know, looking ahead 12 months is what are the hurdles that you want to overcome? Oh gosh, there's so many, Hersh. Is that that another one of those giant suitcase questions that I've thrown at you? One of the hurdles is my, my constant hurdle is that I have so many ideas 
So my struggle is narrowing them down and just picking a couple and not trying to do all of them at the same time. So the couple of things that I do want to focus on at the moment is going to be releasing my books. Like I said, I have 10 for this, this series alone, not including the marketing books and the low content books. So I want to get more of my own books out there. And then I also want to potentially start working more with publishers because publishers have been sort of failing their authors. I want to be that person to say, hey, I see where you need a little bit of help. Let me help you. So in the near future, it's going to be not only doing my own books, but also helping publishers for the things that they need help with. If you've enjoyed this episode of Brand Voice Runway, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast. The positive reinforcement keeps us going. Who am I kidding? Founders like us keep going regardless. Thanks so much for listening and make tomorrow greater than today.